Did you know we're eating and drinking roughly a credit card's worth of plastic a week? Yep, that's right. Blueland set out to do something about it. Eliminate the need for single-use plastic in the cleaning products we reach for the most. I'm absolutely obsessed with Blueland for a couple of reasons. One, how they're helping the environment. Two, how convenient they make my life. And three, how freaking beautiful their pastel containers are. All you have to do is fill your reusable bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. You'll never have to grab bulky cleaning products on your groceries run again. My partner was a little skeptical the other day if the dishwasher tablets would work as well as the pods we usually use. But after the dishes came out sparkling clean, he was sold as well. It's not only super convenient, but Blueland is also affordable. Refill start is just $2.25 and you can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. Blueland has a special offer for listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash datable. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash datable for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash datable to get 15% off. The Datable podcast features real stories from real people of how they make modern dating work or not. I'm your host, UA, former dating coach turned dating insider, if you will. On each episode, you'll hear commentary from my producer, Julie Kraftchik, and other surprise co-hosts. This episode of Datable is brought to you by 500 Brunches. 500 Brunches connects like-minded people with similar interests to meet in real life over brunch. You answer a quick questionnaire about your interests and how you spend your time, and then they'll match you in small groups of six to eight at a brunch spot in San Francisco. Get a free entry into a brunch now by signing up at 500brunches.com and using the code DATEABLE. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. And along with modern dating, there comes consequences, as we all know. We've talked about, you know, people flaking and ghosting, but what about STDs? I mean, that's also a consequence of modern dating today. And today we have an expert. Her name is Dr. Sheila Lowanzen. And she is in the house with us in this really cute pantsuit that I can't stop looking at. I feel like, her in. You know, adult onesies are the way to go. Yes, very comfortable. And speaking of comfortable, let's talk about STDs, which are not <laughs> I want to give a little background on Dr. Lawanzen. She was born in San Jose. She's 37 years old, and she's in a monogamous relationship herself. Now, she's a board-certified OBGYN who was diagnosed with herpes at the age of 20. Mm -hmm. So she's had herpes for 17 years, and she wrote a book called Yes, I have herpes. As if there yes. could be any other title for that book, right? <laughs> no beating around the bush. It's, a, it's about her journey to acceptance, disclosure, and just giving reassurance to others who mm -hmm. may be going through similar circumstances. So let's start with when you first got diagnosed. What was that like? Yeah, so I was diagnosed when I was 20 years old. Um, I was on my college campus with my first real boyfriend. Um, I was a virgin, and uh, we had actually probably dated for a year or so before we decided to kind of get into the sexual intimacy part. So um, like most of the patients that I see who are exploring their sexuality, it's usually when an STD happens, whether it's chlamydia, um, gonorrhea, or in my instance, herpes. Um, and it was a situation where he had a history of cold sores. 
Mm -hmm. um, did not have any outbreak, um, and uh, I had received oral sex. And it was after that that I started to notice sores in the genital area. Um, it was very painful when I urinated, um, and I went to the campus nurse, and uh, she pretty much said, it looks like herpes. I can't know for sure. I'm going to go ahead and do a culture. Here's the medication. So he didn't have sexual herpes. No, he had the cold sores cold on sores. your mouth. Yeah, which are the ones that people get, you know, when their grandmother kisses them at Christmas or, you know, they have uh, cold sores that come out when it's really, really hot out, um, sunburns, things and like that. And because oral sex was involved, then it became sexual herpes for you. Exactly. So um, herpes actually has two types. Type 1 is usually the oral type. Type mm -hmm. 2 is the genital part. Um, however, with the advent of oral sex, things are kind of spreading all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so um, how most patients I find are actually getting it is through oral sex with a partner who has a history of cold sores. Mm. Well, that's why they tell you you're supposed to put condoms on your mouth. When you yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, but correct. Most people don't But do most that. people don't mm -hmm. because that's super awkward. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start talking about this. Uh, when did you write the book? So I wrote the book. I had a little bit of a convoluted story because uh, when I was diagnosed, the internet was not as rampant mm -hmm. as it is now. So I knew that it was a virus that people didn't really talk about. Um, you know, I really didn't get any counseling from the the nurse that I had seen on campus. It was kind of like, be safe, here's some meds, don't have yeah. sex when you have an outbreak, bye. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, what? And Thanks, I, you yeah. know, and I'm and I'm pre-med at the time, um, mm. and I was in a serious relationship. Um, however, with a lot of young relationships that we have, they don't always last. Um, and I will say that I was very ashamed of the virus. Um, and so I, through the course of about 15 years, was sexually active with people. Um, I did not disclose my status. Um, I was always very careful to not be sexually active when I had an outbreak. Mm -hmm. I was on suppression medication. Um, but to verbalize and say those words were extremely difficult for yeah. me. Right. And so... Um, I had at one point gotten divorced and was dating again, and I kept attracting the same men over and over and over again. And I kept thinking, well, I can't keep blaming them, mm -hmm. um, so there must be something going on. And I was attracting uh, men who were uh, very um, not always forthcoming. They cheated on me. They lied about certain aspects of their lives, and I realized... I think that there's something here that I must be putting out into the universe that I keep attracting back to myself. So I actually took a break from dating and I said, okay, let's just start working with a life coach. Let's see if we can do a deep dive and figure out what's happening here. Um, and we had processed through a lot of stuff and my, my coach was like, you know, there's just really something that I think we're not really overcoming. Can you think of anything? And for the first time in my life, I said, um, do you think it's the fact that I have herpes and I've never told anybody? Mm. And he was like, yes. <laughs> so huge. Because, you know, if you're spending time looking in the mirror and thinking I'm not worthy, I feel dirty, I am, I, I deserve to be punished um, for my activities, um, that can really start to weigh on a subconscious level. So I did the work, I did the processing. Um, fast forward, I'm dating, I'm being open, I'm sharing my, uh, I'm disclosing. And I finally realized, you know, I have a really unique stance. I know that there are people out there in the community who also don't share their status. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I realized that 
until I accepted the parts of myself that I was ashamed, mm-hmm. embarrassed, frustrated, angry about, could I actually gain what I wanted, which was self-love and confidence and a partner that I could trust completely. Mm-hmm. And so I found that actually once I loved that part of myself and accepted it, mm-hmm. did I actually get what I was really looking for? And so I thought if I could share my story with other people to show one, it's a struggle, put in the work, you can get there. Two, you can be very verbal and obvious, yes, I have herpes, and not be <laughs> chastised and stoned yep. in the streets, and you know, <laughs> and, and you can thrive and be safe with it. I thought that that was a great story. And, and, and of course, you know, on the backside of it is I'm a board-certified OBGYN. Right. So I'm also coming from the perspective of being a, a healthcare provider. Yeah, um, and gives you people. credibility. Yeah. So rewind to when you first found out you had herpes. Did mm-hmm. you tell your boyfriend at the time? Yes. So he did know. He knew. And, and we were both stunned because we were like, uh, uh, is that something? Can right, you really do right. that? And, you know, we, well, we didn't have research at the time. So we said, well, if the doctor is saying it, then it must be true. Right. And in one of your interviews, you said after your book came out, you actually told all of your sexual partners who mm-hmm. you didn't tell in the past about yeah. your situation. Yeah. And how did they react? Yeah. So I actually told them before the book came out because okay. I didn't want to blindside them anymore yeah. than I have already. <laughs> yeah, by the way, <laughs> yeah. they're like in the bookstore. They're like, she looks familiar. Yeah. Um, and they've been all really wonderful. I think the the great thing is, is I, I was attracting a certain level of guys that were already decent people mm-hmm. um and they said okay we understand none of us have had an outbreak um some didn't take it so well but i think that they had a or one did not take it very well but i think he had a little bit more of a personal um issue with me um, not necessarily just because of the diagnosis mm-hmm. um and uh i've still stayed in contact with all of them they're still friends um but at the same time too i knew that by telling them I had created the situation myself. And Mm -hmm. so any reaction that they could have possibly had was a reaction that I deserved. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a reaction that they could absolutely have and it would be okay. Why do you think there is so much stigma attached to STDs? Well, um, it's it's a few things. Um, It's a little bit different than gonorrhea and chlamydia. You take an antibiotic, you don't even have to tell anybody. Right. Um, A little bit different than HIV. You know, there's support groups out there. There's all this research that's happening. There's large communities out there. There's celebrities living with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But herpes is something that people just don't want to talk about. You know, it originally started from a pharmaceutical stigma um, because they found that this was a very vulnerable group. Oh, if you have Mm -hmm. genital herpes, you don't want to have sex with it. So here, let's give you some medication because that's a bad thing to have. And so it really kind of just caught on. That was on the advent of, you know, um, the 60s and free love, 60s and 70s of free love and sex with everybody. And, you know, like it was a really good kind of push for people to stay at home and stay in monogamous relationships. Um, And so it just went around like wildfire and... Uh, it's the butt of jokes mm-hmm. in movies right. and TV, yeah. and there's no celebrities that have really come out and said, yeah. "Yes, I have this. I own this, and this is the way that it is." And so it's there's no face to it. But mm. even like HIV and even like chlamydia, there is a stigma still. Like I get like mm-hmm. it is more you can just I mean HIV is different, but the others you can get rid of with a pill. Mm-hmm. But there's a stigma of like. I did something wrong, or like I did something. I'm to, dirty. Exactly, yeah, that's what think and it's of. like, like your example, like this is like 
your first time having sex with your boyfriend, which yeah. is like the least dirty mm-hmm. of that. Like, what's your thoughts on those stigmas? And those are absolutely one of the the difficult stereotypes, is because people usually think that it's like a dirty, promiscuous person. Yes. Um, and I think yeah. that the the hard part that a lot of people grapple with when they are diagnosed is that they're usually with their first partner, and it's usually in a monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. and it's the first time that most people are like my body is either failing me or I don't understand it or I have just no control. Um, and so it's it's a big conversion of, of thoughts. And a lot of it becomes internalized because you really don't have a community where you can say, you know, just like, let's say you have a breakup and you can go to your best friend who probably understands in some nature right. of what's going on. And so it's it's very difficult. And I really wanted to come out just to show my colleagues and people that I know and patients that, hey, there is someone out there, and they're doing fine. And the more that we talk about it and bring it out into the open, yep. I think the stigma can't survive. It can't survive in the dark when when right. you know people are out there talking about it. I think there's a stigma attached to STDs because it's one of the only diseases where in, in, where it involves you and someone else. Mm-hmm. So mm. everything else, it's like, oh, I've, this disease was genetics it was passed down to me or I contracted it uh, you know through whatever poor diet (laughs) yeah poor diet or through bacteria but this is the only disease if you come out you're actually um outing someone else right like Mm -hmm. your your sexual partner Mm -hmm. and I think that's why there is stigma because again there's still sort of this negative connotation with sex in general I know we've gone through sexual Mm -hmm. liberation and all that Mm -hmm. there's still something dirty about that word sex you know Mm -hmm. telling people that you do have sex and you contracted a disease from it is still seen negatively yeah it's interesting even in the office women have a difficult time even saying the word sex when Mm. I am uh, you know, with my husband. Uh, 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 <laughs> I'm just we like, you mean having podcast. sex? Yes. I was like, oh, and that happened. You know like, that yes, thing? That yep. thing we, totally. you know, the, you Do you have know, to make the baby? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you mean sex. You mean intercourse. Yeah. Right. We we really got to get over that. <laughs> How? So let's talk about, um, I want to talk about the scientific facts about yeah. H, um, about herpes, about STDs, about everything. So we've had a lot of listeners send in their questions. Oh, great. Um, And some of these questions are very basic, but I think it's good to cover them. Mm -hmm. One of them is, what are some of the the symptoms of herpes? So usually uh, when someone has a first outbreak, um, it's usually a sore. So if you think about it, some people out there can can kind of liken it to like a canker sore. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's say you just, you know, eat some bread and it puts a cut in your mouth or, you know, you eat some super acidic pineapple um, mm-hmm. and you get like a sore. So it's kind of like that, but on the genital area. I will tell you it is not as scary as Google makes it look. <laughs> so don't so Google it. Don't Google. Never Google. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So Google usually has a tendency to do something to like the umpteenth degree, yes. like the worst, scariest yes. possible thing ever, the thing that people see in sex ed in school. Oh, my God. And so yeah. it's just one of those things where it's actually usually just either one or two sores. Uh-huh. Um, very important to be seen by a physician because sores like that can be also um, ulcerations from a really bad yeast infection yep. or it can look like syphilis um, or it can look like just a variety of different things that happen in the vaginal area but it's usually just sores like that some people actually 
the complaint that people say is it hurts when I urinate. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit different than a UTI, a urinary tract infection, mm -hmm. which is more like it hurts when as the urine is coming out. Like more internal, right? Yes. This is a little bit more like when the urine hits the wall, the vaginal skin is yeah. when it hurts. Mm -hmm. So um, if I have a young patient in the office and she says it hurts when I urinate, I'm usually like, let's examine you just yeah. to make sure. Yeah. What about for men? Um, for men, just because of the where the urethra is, they don't have the urinating thing. It's usually just the sore. So it should be on the shaft. The whole usually. thing, like I remember, like obviously with other STDs, you get blood work or you get just mm. different diagnoses. But with herpes, I actually like recently got like just I get my test run annually, and yeah. I looked to see if herpes was on there. Yeah. I reached out, and they were like, actually, we don't test that with blood tests regularly. Mm. So that being said, yeah. how do you know, like, I mean, I guess obviously the symptoms is one way, but like, what if you don't have them? Could you pass it to someone before getting tested per se? That is one of the biggest um, issues in the community mm. um, because, so herpes, from a physician standpoint, herpes to us is when there's a genital sore that you take a culture mm. of and it comes back positive. Mm -hmm. um, now... That's how we say a person is herpes. The CDC, um, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, um, does not believe in doing um, blood testing. Right. Um, hmm. The reason why is because the blood test itself is extremely nonspecific. It can give false positives and false negatives. Hmm. Meaning if someone, let's say, did have the virus or had been exposed in their body at some point, like someone who has the flu, you may not necessarily be showing symptoms. Hmm. And then the test may not actually say that you're positive or negative where we don't believe it. And the CDC itself feels that because the stigma the, of the virus itself is so dramatic for people, they would prefer to save people from that diagnosis. Huh. I think, in fact, that's the crux of where I believe the medical community should actually change um, because it can be very upsetting for patients to not know their status. And I actually think right. that the people who have been exposed and, you know, maybe carriers but never had an outbreak, yeah. those are the people who can go around and be sexually active yeah. with people and then be passing the virus. Right. Yeah, and they're not at fault either. Right. Because they didn't know. Exactly. And so that's that's something that I would love to change in the community um, just because I think it will help prevent the spread of the virus. Um, but the blood test is so difficult to count on that that is also just the very difficult part. So how can someone get tested? So you can ask for it. You have to be fairly persistent. Um, I will say because the medical community in itself just doesn't want to go against our governing bodies, you mm -hmm. know, so we don't want to go against the CDC or the Academy of OB, you know, American Congress of OBGYNs don't want to, um, encourage that at this point. So a lot of physicians will follow that. We're board certified physicians and that's right. the, the people that we follow. But I'm just seeing in the community how much strife it gives people to not know their status. And, and that's hard. So would you just recommend that people ask for the tests on a regular basis yeah. if they're um, sexually active? Yeah. If it's false positives, is that going to do anything? So if it's a false positive, which means that the person is negative, yeah. then they're probably, they, they should be fine. But there is a transition period. So um, it's not to say that maybe they could become positive in the future, you mm -hmm. know? And so you just, I mean, I think the most important thing is to encourage safe sex. 
Right. That's really the, the most important thing um, out there. And to talk about your sexual histories, which can be very difficult for people to totally, do. Totally. How yeah. long does it take for uh, that time going from having sexual intercourse to experiencing symptoms? So usually they say within two to three weeks. Oh, so wow, in those okay. two to three weeks, you could still be having sex with other people and be passing on right. the virus. Mm. What about some other STDs where there is more routine blood work? Like, what are kind of just for people that may not do annual tests? Like, what are the process that you would recommend for yeah. people getting tested? So, in general, I recommend when people are sexually active to have um, an STD check about every six months. I think that that's very, very reasonable. Um, and uh, the blood testing that can be done is on HIV, mm-hmm. syphilis hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are all things that can be transmitted by blood or fluids, bodily fluids. Um, You can do either a urine or a culture swab near the cervix uh, for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And is herpes the only STD that stays in your system forever? Yes. I mean, I guess the other one um, is HIV mm-hmm. and uh, possibly the HPV, human papillomavirus. Right. Because right. even things like uh, syphilis you can treat. Hmm. And just one last question about testing. There's, is there a way to test for oral like mouth herpes as well or is that the same situation as yeah you can do the same culture mm-hmm. um that you do generally for um the oral cold sores mm-hmm. um truthfully unless it's if it's a cold sore on the inside which is more of like a canker sore like from a trauma or mm-hmm. the you know um uh, acidic, acidic food um that would be a canker sore so that is not herpes it's right. the ones that are on the outside, outside like on the corner of the lips yep. like on the dark border um, or on the border of your lips, those are the ones that are. Right. And how can you pass those on without oral sex? So even by kissing, mm. you can do that. That's how a lot of people's grandmothers or aunties kiss them on mm. the lips, and then that's how it usually gets passed. What about sharing food? So it's not through inanimate objects. So it's not like through sharing a drink at a club or lipstick, although in general I just wouldn't encourage people to share lipsticks for hygiene. Um, but um, it's it, herpes is spread by skin-to-skin contact. So uh, it really has to be skin-to-skin, kissing, touching, laying, um, things like that. What about it's, other STDs? Because I know HIV is te- not saliva, right? So um, that is also just a break in the skin. So that can be in any kind of sexual situation. Um, but kissing is should not, right? Kissing or... you should not, um, but it, I guess it just depends because even if someone who is HIV positive, depending on their viral load, if there's any kind of um, uh, cut vaginally mm-hmm. or you know in the genital mm-hmm. area you can still pass it. it so i guess the other thing that's important too is that even if we're talking about safe sex condoms doesn't always protect so mm. i think that that's always something very important so for instance um it's still skin to skin contact but condoms really only cover certain parts so if there is perhaps like a um a, a cut let's say on the rectum some people develop um herpes outbreaks on the rectum if you're in that area you can also pass the virus what about when you don't have an outbreak? Can you still pass? So there is a, some amount of viral shedding um, um, where generally within the first year of a outbreak, it's the highest amount of shedding of the virus that, that happens. And as your body develops antibodies and gets used to it, it can decrease. Um, but studies do show that there can be um, uh, transmission of the virus even when there is no outbreak. So if you have herpes and you're in a long-term relationship with someone, 
you basically are expected to just give them herpes, right? So there's a few things that you can do to prevent the transmission. Um, one is using condoms. Um, the other is um, avoiding when you have an outbreak to be sexually active. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third is, is you can take antiviral medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that does is it can, um, it's a suppression that you can take every day. Um, and it helps to decrease the amount of shedding too. So amongst those three things, you can um, prevent the, the spread to your partners. Does it affect people who are trying to get pregnant? Absolutely not. In fact, um, that's a very common question that people who have herpes come into the office um, requesting guidance on. I would say you can absolutely be sexually active without any issues. Um, you, If you're concerned about your partner, um, you can take the pills um, daily, and mm-hmm. that can decrease your outbreak um, likelihood. And people can deliver very healthy babies. Um, they just take the medication at 36 weeks um, sure. of their pregnancy to decrease any um, outbreaks because if someone has a viral outbreak and is having a vaginal delivery, they can pass the infection to the baby. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. And and so, you know, in my career, I don't, I don't know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I know, delivered 3,000 babies. I've only had to do a C-section once for someone who thought she might be having symptoms. So if because of the thought process, we just said, you know, to be on the safe side, let's just do a C-section. So sorry, just to clarify, if you you don't have an outbreak, Mm -hmm. you can't pass it or you can pass it? You can. You still can. Okay. And then for other STDs, I know like if you got like chlamydia, for example, you Mm -hmm. take um, a pill... Mm-hmm. Within like that week, though, you can't have sex with your partner Correct. because then you'll be passing it back and forth. Correct. And when you do have an, um, a herpes outbreak, how long does that outbreak last for? So it depends. Like people who, um, uh, within the first year, sometimes the outbreaks can last a little bit longer, usually because they're not quite sure, first off, what it is, and then their body just has to kind of just get used to it, build the antibodies. When you take the suppression medication, it decreases the the length of the time. So some people, um, the the course of antiviral medicine can be for five to seven um, days. Mm -hmm. And most people find their symptoms improve after like two. Got it. Uh, But you have to take the full course. Um, There are some people, for instance, who aren't on daily suppression, who when they have an outbreak, they think that they're starting to get it, they just start taking the medicine, it could be done in like two days. Does your partner now have herpes? And if not, what are the preventative measures? So he does not. Okay. Um, he does not. He has not had an outbreak. Well, I guess that he's told me. <laughs> um, but uh, he actually had a girlfriend previously who had a history of herpes. Got it. Um, he didn't contract it from that relationship either. Um, so we are very cautious. It was a discussion that him and I made because my outbreaks are so few and far between. Um, we decided that I would not be on a daily suppression. Um, uh, again, I have very infrequent outbreaks to begin with, but if I do or if I think or I'm just not quite sure, then um, I will take the medication and will just abstain from being sexually active. Got it. But that was a discussion that him and I had to really make sure he felt comfortable, I felt comfortable, and, and that's something individualized to a couple. So is it just your, like your risk is up if you have an outbreak? Yes. Okay, got yes. it. And did you, um, when you enter into this relationship, when did you tell him, 
Yes. So I told him on our third date. Hmm. Um, so I will say that I had dated several people beforehand, uh, and I found my best method, and everybody's yeah. method is a little bit different, um, is to uh, tell them about the third or fourth date, because that's usually the time that you're trying to figure out, do I want to be yeah. right. active Intimate. with someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, I didn't want to do it, and most of the times I didn't tell people in the first one or two dates. Some people even right. t- say on their online profile, which I think is fine. Um, but I wanted to get to know the person. Right. And because if I don't even like them, oh, I don't need to tell them my right. personal <laughs> history at all. Um, and so, um, but, you know, everybody's everybody's different. And I wanted it to be my choice. I didn't want it to be a situation where I have this virus, I need to take whoever guy comes along next. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that right. that was very fair to myself. Yeah. Um, and I had, you know, done the work to realize that that was... Um, very important to me. So I wanted to find out if I even liked the guy first before I would even tell them. Right. And he was just like, well, do you have one now? No? Hey, let's go for it. Let's go. So what was like generally the reaction from most of these men or did it vary? So when um, I first started dating, um, the first few guys were a little bit like, eh, it's not really quite my thing. Mm. Um, I, I think that... Um, you know, that's just not quite what I was looking for, which is okay. Um, because I realized that they were scared of the virus. They weren't scared of me. Right. Um, they just didn't know how it was going to play into their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, that's fine. There's going to be somebody else down the line. So it's okay. Thank you. And thanks for dinner. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but then I started to attract men that were just so much better uh, such a better match for me mm-hmm. because they were men that were open, who were educated, who wanted to get to know me. And it really gave us the opportunity, like for in one instance um, of this gentleman that I still am friends with and absolutely adore, is he's just like, you know, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to go ahead and do my own research and um, let's just keep talking about it. Let's just get to know each other. He was in, he had a lot of sex positive friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had spoken to them and uh, he's a highly educated guy. And he just said, you know, um, I just really like you. Why don't we, you know, just kind of get to know each other. If you could be on suppression in case, you know, a crazy night happens and at least we'll right. be okay. Um, and we'll just go from there. You know what boggles my mind? The amount of time people spend researching if they can combine certain drugs when they're at a music festival <laughs> versus the amount of time they really should be educating themselves on STDs. Yeah. It just boggles my mind that people waste so much time on these th- other things that may not matter as much. Yeah. And like you said, it's all about educating yourself. It's right. nothing to be scared about because if you knew more information about it, it, it doesn't become a monster, you know? I will have to say that, you know, when I had told my one of my great friends from med school that I was coming out with this book, she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a history of cold sores. Does that mean that I could have given it to my husband? Mm. And I was like, okay, we're both board certified. Wow. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Wow. And so it's just, it's a common misconception. And so I think that the education, particularly I think, you know, for all the male listeners out there who have a history of cold sores, that you can spread it to women. Right. And that's, I think, a really important point that I don't think gets, gets honed in on um, right. in sex ed. Because they don't think that they have an STD. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. I remember, I, I like what you're saying about, um, it's interesting to me, the sort of response you get from men mm-hmm. actually determines their suitability for yeah. you, right? Because I remember in college, I had HPV, which mm-hmm. uh, like all everybody had HPV mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. It was like, 
Oprah, you know, you get mm-hmm. HPV and you get HPV. <laughs> and I remember I called, um, when I found out, I called my um, then sexual partner, who was not my boyfriend, and he immediately said, oh, are you sure? Yep. Are you sure I, I'm the one who gave it to you? Mm-hmm. Are you positive about that? Mm-hmm. Have you checked with the other men you slept with? I mean, there was a lot of blame and yes. shame with yeah. it. And he immediately said, like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. He hung yep. up the phone. And so I knew, okay, well, this guy obviously yeah. is not very mature yeah. and didn't want to have a conversation about it at all. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to see how people react to but it. But I think, like, on the other hand, not to, like, defend people, like, that's a different situation. But it's tough, like, I mean, you've obviously handled it so well and come to terms with it. But I can see how someone would say, like, if a guy had a pick between someone that doesn't have it or right. someone that does has it, why would they pick yeah. me? Like, how do mm-hmm. you gain help people like that gain confidence? I think in the end, you know, it, I, I, it was, it's a natural filter. It really is a natural filter. And I think the important thing about that person who's choosing between the two is that it it has no judgment on that person who's making the choice. Right. It's it's literally. Um, he may be a perfect part. That person may be a perfect partner, but just maybe not the right person for you. Right. Um, and we just have to accept it. And I think that that's the important thing about just this herpes platform in general. That is my platform. That's where my book came from. But it could be anything. Right. It could be someone with issues of um, uh, infertility or uh, weight or, um, you know, that they don't have blonde hair like their best friend. Or, you know, sure. I mean, it could yep. be anything. Um, and so really it's just building the self-confidence in yourself that – while that person seems really great, just may not be the right person for you. Right. There's something about um, dating for straight people, I know, that the gay community doesn't experience this. But for the person that you're currently seeing, you kind of don't want to know about their sexual past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I want to think about my partner as someone who's God, who's who's so pure, but also amazing in the bedroom. Somehow, gains those skills magically. (laughs) But I don't want to hear any about anything about your selective. (laughs) Yeah, it's really is selective, and I wish we could be more open about talking about previous sexual partners. I know it's a weird topic, but I like to know. Yeah. Right. Even with numbers, some people are really. Weird about giving yeah, your numbers. Yeah, I think isn't it usually that uh, you take the whatever number the woman gives and you multiply it by three or yeah. something like that? And yeah. then it's like, like a, divide by two. two. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like that. But yeah. I think that's true though, especially with like STDs. If mm-hmm. you have to, if you come forward and say you have an STD, it shows that you've had that sexual past. And like mm-hmm. we were saying earlier, there's sometimes that like stereotype of it being more like promiscuous when it yeah. may right. not be that Absolutely. at all. And at this age, I mean, we're all in our 30s. Even when you're in your 20s, we have to accept that whoever we meet now has it's had multiple partners. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how many partners they've been with. It's it's really about how they treat you now. Exactly. Right? So exactly. It, it brought judging. you to the person who's sitting in front of you. Ex- yes. Yes. And it, it forms who they are. Mm-hmm. So what are some takeaways Takeaways. that we have from all of this around how this can relate to dating? Well, I think first and foremost, educate yourself. It's always good to know more than know less. And get tested regularly. I know like, I don't know the ins and outs of men's physicals, but I know with women, like you do this on a regular basis. So Mm -hmm. make sure you're getting those tests and requesting those tests. Yeah, Dr. Lawson said... Every six months. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds very reasonable. Mm -hmm. Also, disclosure. I think it's really important to disclose if you do have STDs, before you become intimate with someone, 
uh, obviously not right in the moment, but if you feel like you're debating that, you know, maybe that time has come, that is a time to reveal, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. to disclose. And I think like you said, like how you say it too, like coming from it through a vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. I think also like having empathy that someone may be taken back by it and like mm-hmm. not expecting them to be like, gung-ho right away and not necessarily seeing that as a reflection of you but more just them either not knowing about the disease or just processing it all mm-hmm. yeah and really I don't want to sound like an after-school special but we really have to be more careful in this city I know people sleep around with each other I mean like it's a small city and we've probably all slept with each other in some way or another we need to be more careful and be more safe. Not only we're protecting ourselves, but we're protecting other people. Well, it we, sounds like, I mean, yes, in what you were saying with modern dating especially, you're like, people are dating more than ever before. But even like your situation is like your first boyfriend. Like I think just yeah. in general, you never know where you you're going to You never know. It. So be respectful of other, other people and, you know, be careful. Protect yourself. Use condoms or just... Or just know the measures you need to take to be preventative. So I want to talk about some of the common misconceptions. We've talked about some of it. But does having STDs, or I guess herpes um, in particular, affect your immune system? So I actually do find that some patients who have more frequent outbreaks um, may have a lower immune system, you know, just from stress, diet, exercise, um, you know, kind of just those those basic things. Um, in general, I mean, it doesn't dwindle down, dwindle down your immune system. So it's not um, a cause? No. Got no. it. When you do have herpes, can you affect other people other than the people who you're sleeping with? So could you affect your family members, your loved ones, your friends? So I think that that was a really, actually, that's a, uh, a situation that had happened to me. Actually, when my book came out, you know, my beautiful niece was born, and I was very cautious um, where, you know, my herpes is genital. Mm-hmm. So it can, again, like I had said, been spread skin to skin. Um, and so, but I knew that my family would be very careful and concerned you know babies flail yeah, their arms true. they do a whole bunch yeah. of things and I I wanted to remove the concern that oh if it lands in my mouth oh gosh now the baby's gonna get it mm. um you know puts her fingers in her mouth um and I really had to kind of just sit down with my family and say you know my outbreaks are down here um you know if anything I'm probably the most cautious I will ever be even though I know I can't pass it to her by giving her a kiss right. you can see I always kiss her on the top of her head like I'm never like on her face you know I kiss her on the arm um and so that's just really something um that I'm super cautious about and you know she has a higher likelihood of probably getting a cold sore herpes from mm, all the other family who don't really know and they're just right. kind of kissing her all over the place. Right. Um, so to that question, like how do you tell other people, not like people that are significant yeah. others, but like did you tell your parents? Did you tell like yeah. your friends? Like how did you broach that conversation? So um, most of my family and friends probably found out when my book came out. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I will tell most people, Patients who ask me and a lot of the people who contact me um, through social media um, that they don't really have to tell their 
families or friends if they don't want to. Um, I think the most important thing is to tell their sexual partner because that's right. really who it ends up affecting the most. If right. they want to, you know, I've had some people want to just tell everybody in the whole world and they've, you know, put it on their social media, then that is absolutely up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't have to. Um, I think it would help the stigma if we all just kind of went out and did right. it because about 80% of the population has herpes and just don't know it yeah. um, are sharing it. Um, crazy, yeah. And, you know, and it's not a reportable disease. It's not something that we, you know, tell our state like gonorrhea, HIV, Why syphilis. Just because, well, we're not really tracking it, right, because we're not doing the blood tests. Right. Um, and um, people don't die from it. Right. Truthfully, mm. people don't die from it, um, and it doesn't cause infertility um, issues, and, you know, it isn't like a, a pandemic that, you know, the state has to try to control all the gonorrhea and chlamydia that are happening out there. So what is the worst thing that could happen if you have herpes? Um, that you have outbreaks now and again. I, you know, there, there are... Um, quotes that are out there that talk about how like oh you know herpes is just the skin rash that's really annoying and there are a lot of people in the community who like and don't like that mm-hmm. um but it is a skin thing that just happens now and again and it can affect your sex life so it's just the pain of it it's, 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 a, nuisance. it's, just, it's a nuisance it's just yeah. the thing you have to deal with but people who have psoriasis have those things yeah it's just it's 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 common so what are some of the other symptoms or like consequences of the other stds yeah so if there's um gonorrhea and chlamydia if it's untreated um it can cause um, pelvic inflammatory disease so it can cause an infection on the inside of the uterus um, some people can just treat it with outpatient antibiotics some people need to be admitted to the hospital Mm. Um, for IV antibiotics. Um, And so that can take someone out of work and all that kind of stuff. If there's an untreated infection, sometimes it can cause infertility issues because it can cause scarring along the tubes. Mm. And and so that can be an issue um, down the line when people aren't really... And untreated like forever or like if you had it like, let's say you got it and like four years passed and you didn't know, would that still affect? Yeah, Yeah. it's possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so that's something that would have to be evaluated in the future. Um, HIV is a situation where they would need to take, um, antiviral medications and, and, you know, there's wonderful medications out there now. Um, and if untreated, certainly it, it ends up with skin issues. It can cause neurologic issues, um, and organ. What about the death rate of HIV? Because like, obviously in the eighties, when it was first coming out, there weren't nearly as many treatments as yeah. now. Like, mm-hmm. what is living with HIV now compared to then? I find that, I, from what I hear, um, infectious disease physicians are usually the ones who see those patients. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand that the quality of life that they have is actually quite great. Okay. Um, people are living so much longer, taking less medications with less side effects, um, and, and doing very, very well. Um, I don't have specific numbers, but got it. Mm-hmm. So most of it's just stigma. It it's feels stigma. like it's stigma. Mm-hmm. And you know what's ironic is is that breast cancer actually used to have a huge stigma, hmm. um, and really, and so there was a big push um, with one of the first ladies who was ended up diagnosed. I don't know if it was Roosevelt, um, um, but she ended up coming out, and it changed the stigma. And then they started pushing in terms of screening exams, and you know, talking about it, and then all of a sudden you've got these marches and research, and it just it really changed the stigma. 
I will tell you that some of the herpes community wants to have a big parade, and I'm just like, well, how about we just tell one person? <laughs> <laughs> just tell one other person. I'm just going to start there, and hopefully our communities will start to coalesce together, and then it'll just be so much more accepted. My concern <laughs> with something like that is, okay, so breast cancer, when there was stigma, now there is no stigma. You can have these marches, and they're, you know people are trying to, they're pouring money into finding a cure and all that. But with something like STDs, what worries me is, which what I'm seeing with the gay community we've talked about with um, some of our friends, is that HIV has uh, has this new stigma now. It's, you know, it's treatable with PrEP. Mm. So a lot of them are saying that they're not no longer afraid of the disease and they mm -hmm. feel that there's some sort of liberation. And the result of that is, one, there is lack, not lack, but there's less of a stigma with HIV, but there's less protection. And then there's mm -hmm. also um, people are being less cautious mm -hmm. with with protection and, and when they're having, you know, sexual mm -hmm. activities with each mm -hmm. other. So it worries me that something like with herpes, on one hand, I want to say that you know, there really should be no stigma attached to it. But I also don't want want it to sound like this disease that everyone has and right. feel free to spread it and mm -hmm. you know don't be you don't need don't to be, be safe. that yeah, don't be <laughs> right. safe you don't need to be that careful because there's ways to get around it it's just like eczema you know you <laughs> right. just have to deal you don't want to make it that like yeah. no big of deal because yeah. it still should be safe sex it first it still should be safe sex so where is that middle ground Oh, I mean, that's the million dollar question. I mean, and, and to add on top of what you were just saying, there are vaccines that are coming out that are, they're working on where there are, um, they're either trying to decrease outbreaks or to protect the partner from, mm. if, from a person um, mm. is uh, herpes negative. So I, I don't know where that fine line is. I guess it's just as in moderation with the way that we eat our food. I think it's probably going to have to be the same with um, with sex. And, it, you know, certainly, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to advocate for um, monogamy. Um, but I also think it's important that if you are sexually active with multiple people, that you're using the protection right. that you can and disclosing as much as you can, too. We have to respect our partners, mm -hmm. right? And yep. that's one of the ways mm -hmm. is using protection and having safe sex and getting tested on a regular basis. Yeah. What do you think about people putting their status on their dating profile? <laughs> I think, you know, um, so there's there's a lot of different opinions um, because there are um, STD dating websites. You right. know, so there like are ones. find other people. Mm -hmm. and Can you name one right now? So I think there's... Um, I have to look tr up. There's Truster is one um, that's Truster. actually out of San Francisco, and I think that they just came to Chicago. Um, and that's an app that you can find um, mm -hmm. online. Number one herpes dating site, PositiveSingles.com. Positive Singles, that's the one. Is okay. there like HIV dating sites? I'm There's sure. There's an STD are... dating site called HSV Singles. There are even ones for people who have um, who are HPV positive. There's wow. just a variety of different things out there, and I think that that's a fine safe community because I suspect that there might be less judgment. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know that there are a lot of people on more popular dating sites, and that's actually the popular dating sites is where I was online dating. Mm -hmm. um, and some people do just put it right out there because they hope that they can kind of weed out the people who are going to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. Again, I didn't want to be defined by my virus. Yeah. Right. I wanted to be defined by the person that I am as Sheila, who is, you know, a law-abiding citizen, you know, and <laughs> mm -hmm. and has this career and is doing all these cool things. So, um, but 
to each their own. Everybody's yeah. different. Can you give some advice to any of our listeners who are having a hard time accepting their virus and coming out to just saying, yes, I have herpes or yes, I've had STDs. Mm-hmm. How should they get there? How? What are some of the steps that they can do? So I know that the podcast is called Dateable. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, one of the things that I actually recommend is to take some time and, and, and not date for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I actually found that the six months that I took to not date was probably the best amount of time that I could have done for myself mm-hmm. because it gave me some time to go inward and to find out what is important to me. What yep. am I looking for in a partner? Who am I? Um, you know, and I actually through my book, there's you know a lot of the different exercises that I I had gone through that actually helped to build my self confidence because I found that once I built my self confidence, no matter what anybody else thought about me, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter because I internally I knew who I right. was, I valued who I was, and uh, you know, and I and I started this endeavor being like, you know, if I end up a 40 year old woman who doesn't have a partner, but I could be a really awesome doctor and be a fantastic aunt, then that's just what my destiny is and that hmm. is perfect. Um, and so if we can if we can stand on our own by ourselves with that confidence, mm-hmm. then no matter whatever happened, it just it didn't it didn't factor in. And that's advice we've given people not with STDs too. Yeah, so absolutely. It's not just STDs, but I can definitely see why that's applicable in this case. Yeah. It's news that's coming to about you in a way yes and so and just learning to love yourself again because it is a change so um I recommend just taking that time and I and I recommend grieving because Mm. it is it's a it's a time that you've had a loss of something whether it's a loss of your sexual freedom Mm -hmm. whether it's a loss of um belief in your body um whether it's um learning how to recognize signs in your body and what it's trying to tell you those are all really good things to take time for yourself so I always encourage that for people too I'm sure after your book came out people have written in to say that you really helped them can you share one of those stories yeah I've had wonderful people who wanted to go into medicine and Mm. actually stopped when they were diagnosed interesting which I thought was um very saddening because you have someone who is so capable of helping other people, but because of something that happened to them, they just shut down. I've had this a handful of times. And I actually told them that by far they have probably the best experience ever right. to be a, a physician, a provider, a nurse, a whatever, because they're able to reach people on a level that I think our human race is looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're looking for empathy. They're looking for compassion. And whether I haven't been through all the experiences that anybody in, you know that I've seen before has ever had, I can understand a feeling of... Yep. you know confusion and frustration and and misunderstanding and communication and so I think you can relate to people and people see that thread I know you were going to be you were in pre-med before this happened were you always going to be an OBGYN or did that change because of this diagnosis um I think it 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 led me in that direction I found that uh, women felt very comfortable to share their intimate situations with me very easily um, and then I just loved OBGYN just because of the nature of the delivering babies and the emergency room medicine and the continuity of care it just it fit my personality very very well yeah. and one last question so we had a, a listener write in say that she just started seeing this guy she met online and she really liked him and through sort of a miscommunication over text he had revealed that he had gonorrhea and it wasn't really a text meant for her 
but it's the reality of things. So her question is, how should she deal with the situation and how should she respond to him? Because she does really like him. So I think it's important to realize that this person is in a very vulnerable space. Mm -hmm. Um, In that instance, you know, it's through text, so it's a little bit different. Um, I will say that I discovered that when I was telling partners, um, and I was in the beginning very, very nervous to the point where I was actually reading off of a script because I was afraid the words weren't going to come out well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was, you know, kind of tripping myself up and crying. Um, And most of the partners would realize like, oh, she's she's talking about something serious. So they would actually kind of like perk up and lean in and could tell that I was visibly upset and that this was something really important for me to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important just to realize that this is a human being in front of you and whether he had slipped up by accident by text, um, he's sharing something very intimate about himself. Yeah. So I think it's important to, when they're disclosing this, to take a breath um, and realize, you know, in her situation, okay, well, we hadn't been sexually intimate, so, you know, we can talk about this without the emotional anger part of it. Right. Um, and, and just realize that some things are treatable, like gonorrhea, some things aren't, and just kind of realizing how you feel about that. Right. Um, and if you can, um, you know, separate the person and the virus or the infection, and then just kind of go from there. Or anything that you have that we didn't cover that you want to make sure that gets out there to people. Yeah, I think it's really important to not judge others. Um, because until you actually know your own status and know that it's tried and true, it's hard to judge other people. It's kind of that, you know, don't throw stones until you kind of mm-hmm. know where mm-hmm. you're at. Yeah. And if people want to find your book, where can they find it? Yeah, so it's found on Amazon. Um, you can either have a soft copy mailed to you. I do know it's a very bold title, so there's also the Kindle download version. <laughs> <laughs> so you can always do that. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a public page. It's Dr. Sheila GYN. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. Um, and then I have my website, which is Dr. D-R Sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A, Luanzen, L-O-A-N-Z as in Zebra, O-N, dot com. Fantastic. I want to see people rocking your book on the subway. <laughs> I've, had, I've had some people send me pictures. They're, they're my That's family amazing. members, so I'd love to put that challenge out there if anybody wants to send me that that picture. And you can, you know, yeah. put it in random places. Yeah, and that could any... go viral yeah. and no yeah. pun intended. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously... Feel free to reach out to Sheila, but if anyone has any other questions that they want to send to us, we're happy to send them along to you as well. Please do. Thank Absolutely. you. So listeners at home, we want to hear your stories, your questions, whatever it may be. You can contact us in any way. And if you want to be a guest on our show, we can always keep you anonymous to protect your identity if necessary. All right. So on that note, last but not least, stay dateable. Your action item for this week is to go get tested. It's the least you can do for yourself and for your partners. Hey, I think sexual liberation's great. Go fuck each other's brains out. But we have to do it responsibly. We have to prioritize our health and our safety. We're all adults here, so we should start acting like adults. Starting with getting tested. We want to give a huge dateable shout out to Nick, who has been helping us with sound. Thank you so much for your generosity, your kindness, and your technical skills to make all of us sound better on air. Thank you again, Nick. If you didn't know already, in our off season, we launched a premium series called The Why Series, where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. 
We've had some great feedback on how actionable these episodes are, so check it out on our website under the tab Y Series. Or you can now buy directly from iTunes Music. Another exciting announcement is that we revamped our website. We now have written stories from past guests and writers, and we have playlists to organize episodes by topics. These playlists can also be found on SoundCloud. So check out all the content we now have on datablepodcast.com. The most efficient way to meet new people is a combination of online and offline. 500 Brunches has your offline covered. Connect over brunch with new friends. Come alone or bring a buddy. There is always a table full of friendly faces, mimosas, and eggs benedict. Sign up at 500brunches.com and use the code DATEABLE for a free entry. To connect with us, visit datablepodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under Datable Podcast. Mm-hmm.